Good to see everybody here. I am just uh, grateful for what uh, God is doing and has done. Grateful to stand before you in this wonderful place of worship and family. You know, some of you uh, may know my testimony, um, but others may not. Uh, don't run out of the room. Um, anyways, uh, you know, five years ago, I got out of prison after spending 25 years in prison. And, uh, you know, today I get to stand up here and share God's word. That's our amazing God. That's our awesome, amazing, wonderful Savior, that he could take somebody like me and he would transform me and he would use me. And I'm just so grateful that he has set me free from the chains and the bonds of darkness and pulled me to the kingdom of the son of his dear love because I found Jesus and I found freedom, I found forgiveness, and I found joy in walking with a wonderful, amazing Savior. I'm thankful for Brian. Thankful for this message, thankful for First Timothy that we've been going through right here. So as we're looking, remember that Brian has talked about the game plan. We're talking about First Timothy chapter 3 when he tells the church, If I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. Okay, so let's get one thing. I, even though, you know, we're a small number, I'm, I'm a little interactive. So I like, you know, when I ask a question or if I say, say something to your neighbor, go ahead and do that. It's okay. You can, you can do that. So, you know, so what we're going to do is I want to say, ask a question, who is the church? We are the church. Thank you very much. We are the church. The church is not center point building. We are the church. He's not talking about, hey, this is where you should behave when you go to church on Sunday morning. Because that would be pitiful, right? You know, if we just, we're really being transformed into a walk that happens in our lives all the time. Everybody say all the time. That's our commitment. Our commitment is not just for the moment. It's not for an hour on Sunday mornings. It's forever. We live for him who died for us. That's the transition right there. We stop living for ourselves and we start living for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Jesus, this one who went to the cross for us. There are some notes in your bulletin if you want to follow along. There's some blanks you can fill in. Uh, I encourage you to do so. It's always good you remember a little bit more of what you write down rather than just what you listen to. But either way it goes, let's make sure I start the clock so that we don't go too far and you guys get to lunch. Um, so, you know, um, it was funny, as coming up, I come up with all kinds of, you know, different uh, messages, you know, you know, you look at the passage, and you're like, oh my, what, what can I come up with? So, I came up with like two or three, four or five message titles, and in commitment to forever, but, I, you know, one was like, get a grip, you know, get a grip, and just tell your neighbor, get a grip. So, he's going to say a couple things in this passage. He's going to say, number one, he's going to say they may, they may lay hold on eternal life. And then he's going to say, guard what was committed to your trust. Two words that are interesting. Lay hold on eternal life means just get a grip on it. And he's not talking about get saved. He's talking about get a grip on where your focus is and where your commitment is to eternity. And then he's going to say, keep on guard. And hey, when you're on guard, you've got to have a proper value of what's going on right here. So, Interesting enough, you know, 
we talk about our financial commitment. He's going to break this. Now, we've been in 1 Timothy chapter 6, and he's been talking about riches. He's been talking about with food and clothing, with this we shall be content, that other people, you know, when they get desiring to be rich, they fall into temptations and snares. So when he's talking about this uh, passage, he says, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, that they, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. So as I was looking at this passage, my wife and I went to a pick up an elliptical, I think, this couple weeks ago, you know, because I'm going to work all this fat off this food. I mean, you know, you guys know what I'm talking about. So we got this elliptical, and we were looking at ellipticals, and, man, they're, you know, they're expensive. <laughs> they're not cheap. You know, they get up into $3,000. So we were looking, and so we went online, and we went to Craigslist, and we're like, we found one that looked pretty good. We said, we'll check it out. And it was, you know, originally we were $2,100. They were giving away for 100 bucks. I'm like, wow, man, that's a pretty good deal. So we went over, and we went to these people's house, and, man, these people were millionaires. And sure enough, the guy was a neurosurgeon, you know, so he was, you know, rolling in money. They gave us this nice, barely used elliptical for $100. I'm like, hey, let's see if we'll use it because I don't want to fork out $2,100 if I wasn't going to use the thing. So, you know, you know what I'm talking about. We've done that too. So anyways, and we were looking at, and I was like, these people are rich. These people are rich. And I compare myself to them. But, you know, when we look at who's rich, I was going online and looking at stats. You know, they have all those kind of things there. And it talked, if you make over $21,000 a year, you are in the world's 10% of being rich. They said, if you bring in $50,000, you're in the top 1%. I mean, we look at Forbes magazine, and we think, hey, I'm not rich as that person over there. You know, and it's all compared to, but, you know, compared to the rest of the world, we are rich. We are rich. And, you know, we've been given more than just those kind of riches. We've been given riches of God's at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. Isn't that grace? That's grace right there. And we've been given riches. But God has a deal with us. He's trying to get our focus on that we need to recognize what is the source of our riches. We talk about that. So our commitment, our financial commitment is, hey, we need to recognize, because he says, remind those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty. Not to be up here. That's what he said right there when we just looked at that. So he says, you know, if one way not to be haughty is to recognize that God is the source of our riches. God is the source. In other words, you might have worked 80 hours last week, 60 hours, 40 hours. You might be working hard, but it's God who's given us the ability and the capability to think, to move, to act, and to have our being. He gave us everything. That's amazing. God has given us all things richly to enjoy. The Bible says that every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from above the Father of lights with whom there's no variation nor shadow of turning. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22 says, the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and he adds no sorrow with it. It's throughout the Bible. David, one time, you know, he was the guy that, um, you know, slew Goliath. Well, he was gathering all this wealth so that his son Solomon, the richest person that ever lived, could, you know, build this awesome temple. And as they were offering one time in Second Chronicles, he said, you know, hey, God, 
This is a trip because you gave us all this stuff and we're just giving it back to you. We're just giving it back to you. See, there's a, there's a right perspective that happens when we recognize that God is the source of our riches in whatever form that comes in. And that, that changes us it's from pride to humility. You know, it, all of a sudden it's like, hey, God, this is yours. See, because God doesn't want to be just the Lord of Sunday morning. He doesn't want to be the Lord of Sunday night. I mean, Sunday night or Wednesday night or whatever your small group is. He wants to be the Lord of your life. He wants to be the Lord of your bank account. He wants to work in those areas. And, and that's sometimes, because money can grip onto us, right? You know, we can, you know, it can really grab us things and possessions and working hard to be like the Joneses. Those things can just grab onto us. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves with our gaze distracted away from what's right. And we find ourselves, you know, not focusing on what God wants us to focus on. And that's why, you know, one of the passages I hear says, hey, you know, Hang on to your riches loosely. Proverbs chapter 23, verses 1 through 5, they tell us, why do you set your eyes on what is not? He says, riches certainly make themselves wings and fly away. Man, easy come, easy go. It can happen. You could be rich, and all of a sudden, man, you could have a health problem, and there goes your job, and then there goes your bills, and then there goes the finances. And if that's where your trust is, then it's all worthless. But if our trust is in the living God who gives us all richly things to enjoy, then we'll be like Job. You know, Job, he had it all. He was rich. You know, the Bible says he was, but you know what? When God took everything away from him, he said, naked I came into the womb, and naked I shall depart. Blessed be the name of the Lord. See, he had the right perspective on his riches. He said, God gave all this to me. Tell your neighbor, tell your neighbor God gave it all to me. Amen. God gave it all to me. That's right. So the second thing, we need to realize what is important to God. Realize what is important. What is important to God? Well, I'll tell you what's important, not our bank account. Our bank account or how much is in there. God could care less. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He made everything. He doesn't care how much money we got. We care about it. But he isn't, you know, he's not. You know what's important to God is your character. God is more concerned with our character than he is with our comfort. We like to be comfortable. Wow, man, I want to be comfortable. I want to go lay on my, you know, lay on my couch and watch a movie. And, and there's nothing wrong with being comfortable. It's that that's not God's priority in our lives. God's concerned about our character. Matter of fact, there's a passage in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, where he talks about this. He says, and not only that, but we also glory we take pride. We, hey, we boast in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That hope, that does not disappoint. That's what he says in there. You know, see, see God is not so concerned. He's going to take us through trials. And guess what? Some of those trials are even going to be financial trials, struggles. Why? So that we can learn, hey, God, I'm just going to give this over to you. Because it's a struggle at those points. It's easy to preach about this message. It's hard to live it. It's nice to nod our heads. Yes, amen. You know what? But it's hard when, the, when it's going down. Many, you know, families get, you know, you feel the tension of the, when that money's not there and all of a sudden the family's going through it because there's a struggle inside. And that's when it gets hard. And that's when we need to realize, hey, God's in control. We have to come back and realize what's important. Not our comfort, but our character before the living and final God who gives us all richly things to enjoy. So the second thing is, 
Jesus, in Matthew chapter 6, when he's talking about these, you know, the, the people that thought riches was everything, he says to them, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not bring in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Isn't that an awesome, awesome statement? Hey, that's a telltale sign right there. I mean, really, if we realize what is important, we got to think about what am I thinking about? What possesses me in the moment? You know, and we can tell, where's your treasure at? Well, it's what you're thinking about all the time. That's where your treasure's at. If it's about your financial bank account or if it's about your finances, about your toys, about this or that, you know, and we just got to think about, we got to transform our thinking through the word of God so that we get off of self and we get off of possessions and we get on to, you know, God, this belongs to you, my house, my finances, my car, my bank account, my children, everything, everything. Everybody say everything. Everything belongs to God. So, and one of the ways that we kind of let go is Paul's encouragement to Timothy. He's telling them, remind them to do good. Didn't he say that? Remind them to do good, to be ready to share, willing to give. One of the ways that we can help out in our finances and so that they don't have a grip on us is to give some of it away, amen? Amen. I mean, hey, that's a rough stuff. Remember, there was this... Uh, time in you know Jesus's life when he was on and, and there was this offering box and the people came through and they dropped money into it and you know so one time this poor widow she comes in and she drops in two pennies two mites what's what they called it two pennies whatever it was she dropped it in and then Jesus says he says you know see that girl right there I tell you she gave more than everybody else because she gave everything they gave out of their abundance she gave everything in her abundance she poured it all into God and you know but I think the principle is there is that you know if we are ready to give willing to share we'll we'll hang on to our finances a little loosely and we'll realize what's important in life what's important in life our relationship with God and a relationship with others so when we're giving into the lives of others that's what's important I love you know I love this church. So grateful. You know, I, I was here talking about Generosity Feeds. Do you know we already have raised up $10,000 towards the next Generosity Feeds? Already. It's like 9000 But, you know, it's amazing. And, you know, people are ready to give, willing to share. And I've watched it since I've been here. You know what the pastor says? Hey, we got something going on. People have poured out in abundance. You know, do good with what you got. It's not about how much you give. It's your heart. The Bible says God loves a hilarious giver. Why? It's hilarious. What's hilarious about it? Well, it's funny that we say, hey, God, this belongs to you. I'm just, I'm just giving you back. And that's the way, you know, and I'll say one thing is to do is to tithe. To tithe, you know. Hey, make it a, a, when you get that check, if you haven't signed up on the little thing to tithe to the church and it goes in automatically, do it. Because you know what? That's, you're letting God know this belongs to you right off the top. Don't wait till it's all done, you know. And you're like, I can't give you anything now, God, you know, because I got to pay these bills. You know what I mean? We learn, hey, we sacrifice. We hold on to things loosely that we give with. Give, give, give. You know, I know that we got responsibilities. I'm not telling anybody that. We've got to take care of the things we've got to take care of. But we just need to learn the proper perspective in our relationships with others and not the relationship with money. You know, so many people at the end of their lives, the real rich people said, man, I would, I would trade all my money for one friend 
And you know what Pastor Brian said last week? He said, man, you know, nobody's taking a hearse with them to heaven. Nobody's taking. The only thing you're taking is the relationships that you built here. The only thing that we're going to remember in heaven is the relationships that we built here on earth. Whether those relationships are your family, your bosses, your friends, those are the only things that matters and money should be just to use that we end to build those things up, to bless people, to say, wow, you know, I mean, hey, there's a Bible passage, I was a thief, and there's a passage that speaks to me, it says, let him who stole steal no longer, that he may, rather let him labor with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. Amen, that's my verse right there. I'm going to work so that I can give. I enjoy giving. You know, it's a blessing. More blessed to give than to receive. So do good with what you got. So let's keep going here. Our faith commitment. So we went from our financial commitment to our faith commitment. So we're going to talk about what it is. Because Paul says, hey, you know what? First he says, watch out. We want them to lay hold on eternal life. Have a grip. Get a grip on what's right. And then he says, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in so doing have departed from the faith. So there's a guard. You know, hey, there's a, what's this mean, guard, man? Once again, hey, you got to have a, what's guard? I'm, I'm thankful for the guards here that watch. You guys don't even, may not even know them, but there's people that are patrolling here and watching out for crazy people that have come in and do any kind of stuff, you know, you hear about other places. You know, and I'm grateful the people that have decided to guard us. I'm grateful for our police. I'm grateful for the people that, that serve our country and have decided to guard against the evils that would invade. Those are important areas of guarding. But, you know, Paul is saying, hey, there's even, a, more, there's even a, a bigger importance right here. You've got to guard something that was given to you. You've got to guard something. How do you guard something? Well, man, you've got to gear up. Gear up. What do you gear up with? <laughs> man, the, God's already given it to us, right? He tells us in Ephesians 6.10, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So, I mean, is this some kind of mystical, magical armor? No, no, this is, man, it's so practical. I love, you know what I love about God's word? One of the things, it's so practical. You know, when he talks about, he's talking about put on the breastplate of righteousness, you know, having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And I don't, it's not some mystical thing I put on in the morning time. Some people do that, amen. That's, that's, but, you know, it, really, it's practical. I put on holiness. I put on Christ's likeness. I grab hold of the word of God, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You know, I have a mind of preparation. That's what it is right there. When we're talking about gearing up, we're armed. Second point right there is we need to be aware. Be aware. When, there's, when we're guarding something, the guards are aware, right? You know, if somebody was to come, the guards would be aware right there. So then we need to have a proper awareness. Now, if you look in First uh, Peter, he says, be sober. Be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Hmm. He's seeking whom he may. The devil has come to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. It's not a joke. Well, sometimes we think about that little sin, you know, just, ah, oh, just a little white lie or just a little sin. This is what I like to do, you know. I mean, those things are sins. The Bible says that sin produces death. 
that there is an enemy of our soul. He's seeking to make you devour. He's not seeking just to kind of trip you up. He's seeking to lay you low. He's seeking to steal that most precious gift. He wants you to abandon your faith. He wants you to give up. So, you know, we need to be aware that there is an enemy that is trying to steal, kill, and destroy. You know, and he works through people. Mm, He does. You know, we have our own sin problems and issues right there. But, you know, those things right there, sometimes we go through it. You know, he, he attacks us. Sometimes, hey, I don't know if you've ever been hurt at a church. Man, that's a painful situation. If you've been hurt by, it's easy to get hurt by those you love the most, right? And, you know, the ones that you've spent your relationship with. My wife can testify to that. Um, yeah. So anyways, you know, it's easy. And, and those are the hardest hurts right there. What do we do? Walk away? No, we're, we're aware that the enemy is behind the attacks, The enemy does not want you to go on and be committed to forever. He wants you to focus on what is temporary and what is meaningless so that your life can be about nothing. At the end, you're like, what? See, because we are looking forward to stand before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The Bible says that each of us should give an account to him who has raised us from the dead. We're going to share something about our lives. I mean, hey, we're forgiven, but we're still going to talk to the king of kings. He's going to be like, hey, what's happening here? He's not not going to punish us. We're not going to hell, but he's going to ask us about that. Be prepared to give an answer. Each of us shall give an account. The word account means logos. We shall speak something. We shall speak something. And it's important that we realize that. That's what we're doing right there. So in the last passage, we're talking about um, in First Peter, he says, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So this point right here was to be prepared. Be prepared. How do we prepare? You know, and this, this thing, gird up the loins of your mind, what does that even mean? I remember I was like, well, what does that mean, gird up the loins? Who girds up their loins? What does that mean? Gird up your loins. I mean, that's the passage. You know, so when you look back at the in the Old Testament, you know, when God was doing the Ten Commandments, right, the Ten Commandments, and, you know, we have the Ten Plagues, and they were coming up out of, at the, in the last little point, God's giving them some instructions. He says, hey, tell them to gird up their belts, you know, get their waist girded up. And, you know, so it's an idea of preparation that they would, they actually wore robes, which I'm thankful we don't wear anymore. So they wore robes, and they would take these robes, and they would pull them up, cinch them up, and pull them up through their belt. And it was the idea of being prepared for traveling. And so what God is telling us by gird up the loins of your mind, he's saying, you know, sometimes we got all these loose stuff going out there. We got all these fragmented thoughts and we need to bring that all into the right and proper perspective that we are children of the King of Kings, that we are soldiers in a battle and that we need to focus on what is right and gird up our loins. You know, we need to think about what is right. Be prepared for what God has done for us. next passage get away from the dumb stuff get away from the dumb stuff what's the dumb stuff man we all know what it's right right we all know we don't have to look at anybody else's think what's what's dumb I can look at my own life and think man that's dumb you know so hey what is get away from the dumb stuff look what he says right here first John 2 15 through 17 really talks about the dumb stuff do not love the world or the things in the world if anyone loves the world 
the love of the Father is not in. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides, there it is again, forever. Our eternal commitment, where is it at? Is it to the things of this world? Are we in love? And, and it's easy. Once again, we're Christians, born again. But one thing that we're struggling, we still have a sin nature. And it's drawn towards the things of the world. God knows our affections, our attachments, can sometimes be unhealthy. Sometimes we get emotionally attached to things that are dumb. Right? You know what I'm talking about? We'll, we'll get emotional. We'll be like, man, why am I doing this? And, you know, and, you know, I just, we got to understand that God is, he's concerned about that. That's why he says, don't fall in love with that stuff. Watch out what you let into your life. Watch out what you let into your mind. Watch out what is controlling you. Because, you know what, that stuff is temporary. That stuff is temporary. We're living for something else. We're living to hear those wonderful and amazing and fantastic words, the best words that can ever be spoken when we stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and he says, well done. Everybody say, well done. Well done, you good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over this. Guess what, man? Enter into the joy of your Lord. Woo! Amen. That's what's exciting. Those are the best words. So what do we do? You've been faithful in a few things. And then he's talking about these guys that he gave some stuff to, and they went and what? They did something with it. They went and blessed it. And the guy came in, Lord, I, I, you gave me five talents. I've earned five more. I, you know, and the, hey, so he said, well done. And so what has God given to us? Whether it's with our finances or whether it's in our commitment and our trust, what God has given to us, we must use into the lives. We're sowing seeds into the lives of those around us. It might be your boss. It might be your employees. It might be your family. It might be your husband, your wife, your kids, whatever it is. We're sowing seeds into their lives because we have an eternal perspective instead of a temporary mindset. So when we leave here today, we know that it's not just about where we're going to go eat. See, the focus of God is, wants to be all-inclusive. We're drawing, we're, we're, God is all around us all the time, you know, but sometimes we're just not thinking about it. And we need to get that perspective. Hey, you know what, whatever, whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, 1 Corinthians tells us, do all to the glory of God. Let me just say that again. Whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do. Everybody say whatever you do. Do it all for the glory of God. See, that's your eternal commitment. That's it. It's real simple. It's not something so fancy. It's, man, it's so practical that God wants to get involved in your life. Whatever you're doing, he wants to be with you. He's going to use you in the lives of those around. It doesn't take you to stand up here and preach. It just takes you getting involved in the lives of whoever he's placed you, whether it's your family or your boss, your friends, whoever it is, wherever God's placing you around, he's got an opportunity for you. You can bless somebody. It doesn't mean you have to shove Jesus down their throat. It's not like, hey, have you heard about Jesus? You know, and then and push him up against the wall and get Jesus. No, it's really about just being Christ-like. It's about being Christ-like. It's about loving people right where they're at. And then when they ask you a reason for the hope that is in you, you can share it. 
hey, you know what, man? This is what God did for me. I used to be like this, but now I got Jesus. Amen. And hopefully, you know, you got the joyful Jesus rather than, you know, the unhappy Jesus. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? You got some joy to give away here. And that's what we, we want to give somebody Jesus, freedom, love, compassion, mercy, wonderful things that he walked around doing and giving. That's what we want to give away. That's what we want to give. We want to have that kind of perspective in our lives right there. Let's, let's talk about the last thing right here. So grab on to what's right. Grab on to what is right. What's right? Well, the word of God. You know, the enemy's gonna come and he's gonna try to steal your prayer life. You know, you, you've been there. I've been there. You know, he, he comes and he tries to steal your time in the word. Oh, yeah, he, he'll steal your time in the word. He'll, he's going to come and try to, you know, just, just destroy those things. He's going to try to destroy your fellowship. You know, you're like, I don't even go to church. <sighs> Who needs to go to church? You watch it online. He's going to try to take these things from you because he knows what a priority they have because you're working on your relationship with God and you're working into the relationships with others. So we grab it on. And we talked about the things. Look at, look at 1 Timothy playbook. This is what we talked about. This is what we've been through here. The priorities of a church, the priorities of a pastor, the priorities of a savior, the priorities of worship, priorities of women in the, the role of women in church. These are, these are things that we've just talked about just in 1 Timothy. This is grabbing on to what is right. God has given us a blueprint, his word, his people, his love. These are things we got to hold on to. Guard what was committed to your trust. Guard what was committed to your trust. What has God given you? A relationship that God has given to you. And the things that he's given to us, we need to grab onto these things and hold on to. Tell your neighbor, get a grip. Get a grip. Get a grip. We need to, we need to have a firm grip on what is right in this life. Otherwise, we'll grab onto the wrong things because we're prone to do that. And we don't want to go away, you know, with sorrow in our hearts. We've got to grab on to what is right. You know, I know my wife and I watched a, a, watched a movie the other day, Aliens. You guys remember that one? All right, you know, so anyway, so it was kind of funny. Just to share this real quickly. So we were watching this, and, you know, the aliens had wiped out the whole little guys, and they're all screaming and crying. There's one guy who's like, you know, game over, man, game over. And, you know, and, 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 and the, the guy came, and he said, you know, get a grip on it. Man up. And they had to, you know, and they got to get serious about the things, you see, because they had a commitment. They had a commitment. And we likewise have a commitment to the things of God. It's not game over. Man, it's game just begun. We are with the King of Kings. He always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. That's an amazing statement. He always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. We are more than conquerors through him who's loved us. He who started a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Are those exciting passages? Those are amazing. What amazing promises that he has given to us, the precious promises of God. It talks about in 2 Peter, he says, you know, that through these promises we've been given life and escapement from the things in the world. And that's how we grab onto them. And I just encourage, encourage you this week to grab onto what is right. Even as right now, as we're getting ready to partake of communion, as the ushers come forward, I just want you to kind of think about your commitment. What is your commitment to Christ? 
Once again, the passage tells us that we live for him who died for us. There's a, there's a commitment. Christ, you know, he wasn't feeling like going to the cross, right? You guys remember that he said to his father, hey, can this cup pass from me? Because I'm not feeling it right now. I put the, can I feel it right there? But, you know, really, he told his disciples, you know what he told his disciples? He said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. I, I'm not feeling this. If I can paraphrase, when he goes to the father, hey, if there's some way this cup can pass from me, but then he said, if not my will, but your will be done. And that was his commitment to us. His commitment was a commitment to forever for us. Amen? And he's asking, he's not saying, hey, I want your Sunday morning. He's asking us for a commitment to forever for him. And that commitment's gonna work out in that relationship there and that relationship right there. And that's what all that matters in life. So as you look at communion, as we partake of communion, just want to encourage you to think about your commitment. Think about what it cost Christ on the cross and think about what it cost you to live for Christ. Where's your commitment? Something we should always ask ourselves as we are examining these elements, the blood and the body of Christ. Amen.